My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you guys want to turn there with me. Uh, if you guys remember just a little bit, Paul is talking to some people that are in the church in Corinth that have not yet uh, fully uh, turned from their way of living and a sinful lifestyle in order to follow after God. And uh, they, they had come to know Christ through Paul whenever he was there, uh, and he planted the church, yet there were some people who came in that were some false teachers um, that tried to take over uh, for their own benefit and for their own uh, egos and, uh, and were kind of messing things up. For the most part, the church has turned back to God, but there are still a few that haven't, and that is who Paul is speaking to in these last few chapters of 2 Corinthians. So um, so without further ado, let's just get right into this thing, and let's really kind of try to dissect what is going on here. And I just have loved going through this chapter um, and, and looking through this specifically and like dissecting all of the scriptures and everything. Uh, God has just taught me a whole, whole lot through it, and I have just been itching to share with you guys what it is that uh, he's shown me through this, and hopefully he's going to use this in your life as he's done in my life. So I've entitled today's message, Embrace the Weakness. Embrace the Weakness. Um, How many of you guys like feeling weak? Nobody, right? I don't know a person who was like, you know, I really just feel too strong. Like, I really wish that I could just be a little more weak about things, right? No, we try to avoid weakness, but today, uh, Paul is going to talk about boasting in weakness. And we're going to get there eventually um, through our time together today. But how can we get to a point where we are actually boasting in our weakness rather than avoiding our weaknesses. All right, so we're eventually going to get there. Uh, So if you're one of those people that takes notes and you're like, I would really like a title for the top line, you just put embrace the weakness. All right. All right. uh, So let's go straight into this. We're going to have the uh, verses on the screen for you guys, but let's get into dissecting this. So listen to what Paul says in verse one, okay? Um, Paul, in fact, in the the last couple of chapters, Paul has had to kind of boast in himself uh, because he has lost a lot of credibility because these false teachers that had come into the church have tried to have tried to discredit Paul. So he's had to go into like this kind of um, boasting about himself, and it's been very difficult for him to actually boast about himself. But uh, so he was doing that in uh, the previous chapter, in chapter 11, and he's going to continue on in chapter 12. If you guys remember, the Bible wasn't separated by chapters, right, originally. Whenever Paul was writing this, he wasn't like, chapter 12. All right. Like he just, he went through and he was just writing this thing, but so that we wouldn't have to go, okay, like the 145th paragraph, like from the beginning, if you could go, like somebody actually went through and separated things for us so we could find it easily. So thank you person, whoever that was that did that. So it's not separated. So it's a continuous thought that he's had. So here he goes, continuing from his thought in chapter 11 to chapter 12. And here's what verse one says. It says this, Paul says, I must go on boasting. 
He's like, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it because I want you guys to get this. I want you to understand that my message was true. I want you to understand that the gospel that I preached was true. And so I'm going to continue because these false teachers, they are boasting about themselves and you guys are looking at them and going, wow, they're so cool. And that's why you're buying into what they're saying, hook, line, and sinker. And so he's like, so I'm going to boast a little bit in myself, even though I hate doing it. So he's like, I must go on boasting then. But look what he says, though there is nothing to be gained by it. Like he's like, I'm not going to gain anything for myself by boasting in myself. Like I'm not going to gain a thing. In fact, it's going to be a little dangerous. So he says, uh, so I'm going to talk about some visions that I've, that I received. I'm going to talk about some revelations of the Lord that I've been through. All right. So, so he's defending himself for the purpose of protecting the gospel. That's why he's about to say these things, which by the way, that he's never said before until now. Like he's, he's, it's been 14 years that he's held on to this secret that he's had, this vision that he's had, and he's not going to say anything about it until this moment because he wants to protect the gospel. And because remember last week we talked about his jealousy for them to come to like to, to come to an intimate relationship with Jesus. So he wants, he's jealous for them and he wants to protect them, right? And so he says, there's nothing to be gained by myself. Like for me doing this, Paul knows, and listen to this, this is so very important. Do you know why Paul never boasted about himself? Because he knows the dangers in boasting. There are dangers in boasting. There, there are dangers whenever we try to puff ourselves up. There are dangers that come from that. Paul knows the power of pride and how dangerous pride can be in the life of a believer. As followers of Christ, we are called to a life of humility. That's what God has called us to. And he understands that pride is an enemy of humility. So he doesn't ever boast in himself because he does not ever want to get big. He does not want to ever inflate his own ego. So he does not boast in himself very often. Boasting in yourself is a dangerous thing. It's especially hard to boast in yourself without becoming prideful. Try it. Try talking big about yourself and not let your ego grow along with it. Not to think more highly of yourself as we see in scripture that we're not to do than we ought to do, right? Try doing that. This is why you see Paul go back and forth in chapter 10, 11, and 12. In one moment, he's boasting about himself, right? But then he always has to come back saying something to the effect of, but this is foolish. Like he'll say something about himself and then he go, but this is foolish. Like I'm speaking like a madman right now. I can't even believe that I am saying these things about myself because it's ridiculous that I have to boast in myself, that I have to talk about myself in these ways. And he's like, but, but, and then eventually he, he kind of says, but, and really why it's so foolish, like why it's so foolish to boast in myself is because I can't take credit for any of the things that God has done through me. Like it's foolish to boast in ourselves because what have you really done? What have we really done as believers? Hasn't it just been Christ that's given us the gifts that we have to be able to do the things that we do? Like, can I take credit for anybody coming to know Jesus? Can I take credit for anything that we did with our mission team last week? No. Anything that happened in the heart of someone that we ran into, it was not because we did anything. 
It's because it's a work of God in their heart. So how could we ever boast about anything? It's really Christ in us. You and I, we're not gonna find very many situations that call for boasting in ourselves like Paul has to do right now. Like probably not, I'm probably not gonna have to stand up here and be like, guys, I know you think I'm not awesome. Let me tell you how awesome I am. That's probably not gonna be something that I really have to do. You might be asked to share your testimony or something sometime, like your story of how you came to know Christ and your past, where you came from, and then what God's accomplished in your life, you know, from now, you know, from then until now. Um, and so you might, you might have to share that. But in our own lives, may we always remember how foolish it is to talk ourselves up about what God has done in and through us. We should never be boastful. We should never talk ourselves up. We just shouldn't. That shouldn't be a part of the DNA of a Christian. Jesus didn't walk around telling everyone how awesome he was. He showed them. He did it through his actions. If they came to the conclusion that Jesus is awesome, it's not because Jesus was telling them that he was awesome. All right. Same thing with Paul, which we're going to get to uh, here in just a minute. He says something very similar, but check out verse two. All right. So he's like, I got to keep on boasting. I'm going to do it. It's not really going to gain me anything, but hopefully it's going to save you guys. And so he starts to tell this story about this vision, right? He says, I know a man in Christ. <laughs> he doesn't even, he doesn't even want to say himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. Again, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, let's get through some of this just for a second. Because if you're reading this, like I told you guys last week, whenever I'm reading the Bible and I see something confusing, I highlight it in red so that I can go back and study like something that I didn't really understand, right? So back in the day, this is something I would have underlined. I would have highlighted in red. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago was caught up into third heaven. We already know from the previous verse, he's talking about himself, all right? But he says the third heaven. And you're like, what in the world? There are three heavens. Like if you're reading about this, you know, just kind of like looking at it, you're like, I've never seen the second heaven or the third heaven. Like what's the, what are all these heavens, right? And he says, whether in a body or out. And he says, I know this man was caught up into paradise as well. So he uses these, these two words. He uses third heaven and he also uses uh, paradise as well. But I love that, first of all, that he can't even talk about himself. Like he doesn't want to like lift himself up. He's like, I don't want to boast in myself, but I'm going to. I know a guy. All right, this is kind of what he says, right? He's like, I know him, man. I love that you can see his hesitancy even about boasting in this. Um, but he describes how there was a time when God allowed him to get a glimpse of paradise or the third heaven. Now, uh, what, I, what I want us to understand is what this does not mean first, okay? This does not mean that there is a holding place or somewhere between this life and heaven uh, like some denominations teach. They'll teach that paradise is a place uh, that you go sometimes if you weren't good enough to get into heaven and, uh, and that maybe through some prayers from family members and things, you'll be allowed out of paradise into heaven. That's not what it's talking about here. Um, um, and we'll talk about more paradise, what that means in just a second. It's actually really, really cool. But it also, this third heaven, it, again, it doesn't mean some other place, all right? It all means heaven. It all means heaven. Paul was given a vision of heaven. The Bible makes mention
mention uh, in other places in scripture of the first heaven. Does anybody know in the Bible what, what it talks about whenever it's talking about the first heaven? What's it talking about? It's not the garden, but it is the earth. It is the sky, like the sky that we, that we see. You look outside right there, you see up there in those clouds? Like that's the first heaven. That's what Bible talk, the Bible talks about as the first heaven. Can anybody guess what the second heaven is that the Bible talks about? It starts with an O and ends with ter space. space. Yes, outer space. Matthew, star student right here. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's talking about space, right? That's talking about the second heaven. So the third heaven is heaven. Like that's, that's what he's talking about here. He's like, I was caught up, not into like some like sky or into the outer, like I was caught up to the third heaven is what he's saying. I got a glimpse of it. I got to have a glimpse of heaven. It's amazing. And then, and then he says, I got, a, I got a glimpse into paradise. Now, Paul uses, the, you might be going, why are you being redundant, right? Like you're talking about the third heaven. You could have just said that. Why do you also have to add paradise to this thing? This is, this is so cool. And this is why it's, it's, I like encourage you guys so much to just dig deeper than just surface reading of the Bible. Like get into some commentaries, get into some theologians that talk about some things and, and check out some, because there's a, a whole context that this was written in and a time and place this was written in that is so far removed from where we are right now. Whenever we think of paradise, I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking like Fiji, you know, or something like that. That is not at all, you know, what this is talking. So, so we can kind of get lost in our own time that we live in now because things take on separate meanings and stuff now. But this word paradise Heaven is referred to as paradise on several other occasions in scripture. Like Jesus looks to the thief on the cross and he says, today you will be with me in what? Paradise, right? He's talking about obviously heaven. That's where Jesus was headed, all right? But there's great beauty and purposefulness in, in the usage here of paradise. And, and we need to dive into their culture to really kind of see this. This word in the Greek is actually a word that the Greek took from the Persians, all right? So we're like going inception now. All right. So it's like you have the Greek word that they are using paradise that they stole from the Persians. And so Paul is like, you know, that Persian word paradise that we often refer to, that is like what I was caught up in. It's a word that the Persians used that referred to the king's walled garden. All right. So the king of Persia had a garden and it was walled. You could not get into that garden. It's where the king was allowed and where he was going, where he walked and you could not get through there. A special gift that the Persian king would bestow on someone if he wanted to honor them was the title companion of the garden. He could bestow that on someone to be the companion, to be a companion of the garden. This would give the person the right to walk in the royal garden with the king in close companionship. This is the picture that Paul is painting to the Corinthians. And when they heard him say paradise, they were like, whoa, you were caught up into the king's garden? You were you were, you, were, you were invited into a place that, of high honor that no one is invited to. Like, Paul, you were able to go, and you were able to walk, and you were able to be in companionship with the king himself, not here only, but where he dwells. 
where he is. That is an incredible honor. And this is why Paul is like, look, there are things that I saw there I can't even talk about. Like, as a human, you wouldn't even understand. Like, I don't even know if I can find the words. I don't even know if I'm permitted by the king to even talk about the incredible things that I saw. And here's a question that I had to myself. Why would Paul, because he said he waited 14 years before he told anybody about, like, this is, this is, this was 14 years ago, and this is the first time Paul's made mention of this. Why would Paul wait to tell anyone about this until now? I had that question. When I read my Bible, I have lots of questions. I don't know if you guys do, but you're like, yeah, but what about, right? I do that all the time. So why would Paul wait to tell anybody about this until now? Here's what I think. I think it's because people put so much emphasis and become so infatuated with the supernatural that it causes them to seek after these types of things rather than pursuing a faithful day-to-day fellowship with the Lord. Like whenever we, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear that something cool happened to someone else, like something like a miracle or like, you know, something that's just like, whoa, it gives you chills. Like you're like, I can't believe that. Then what do you do? You walk away feeling a little unfulfilled because that hasn't happened to you, right? You're like, well, God, I mean, if you're there, like I remember, I remember one time like sitting in my car and, and I just, I don't know what was going on in my heart. Like I, I was just at a place of like desperation. And I was like, God, I really need to hear from you. Like, I really, really just want, want you to acknowledge me. Like, I, I want you, I want to hear from you. And so I was sitting in my car, and there was a tree right above me, and it was a still day, and I was like, God, if you can hear me right now. Like, it was a perfectly clear day, and I was like, send a bolt of lightning, just right. And then I was like, nah, it's probably not going to happen. And I was like, okay, okay, may, will you just make that leaf on that tree just move a little bit? Like, this completely still tree. Why? Because, because people have stories about God doing crazy stuff like that. You know, like I hear about stuff like that. I mean, I've got a friend who was like in another country one time and like the power went out in the entire place and they had a microphone and a speaker that was plugged into the wall of, of a house and, and the power went out in the entire place except for the speaker that they were using to preach the gospel to this tribe in this third world country that hadn't heard the name of Jesus yet. And then whenever they got done speaking, they were like, wow, that was really cool. Like the only power that stayed on in the whole, the whole village was the power to this one speaker right now. And then these people walked up to them after they got done speaking and the lights came back on and they were like, whoa, they were like, where did all those men go? And they were like, what are you talking about? They were like the men that were like waiting for you guys, like that were surrounding you guys. It looked like they were going to like jump you guys. Like, where did they go? And they were like, we never saw these guys. Like, like, I I hear stories like this and I'm like, that's so cool. You know? And I'm like, why? And so here I am, make the leaf blow. (laughs) Just a little bit, right? Show me. But you know what? God speaks to me every day. That's why I have this. Whenever, now whenever, whenever somebody is like, I just want the Lord to speak to me, I'll be like, let me pull up my Bible app. What, what, I mean, I'll just point, right? Let's, I mean, the Lord's speaking, like this is his word. 
But I think sometimes we feel unsatisfied, we, we feel unfulfilled because he's not doing these supernatural things. And I think Paul was actually protecting people by not sharing this incredible experience that was just for him only. Because what we need to be concerned about, what you and I need to be concerned about all the time is our day-to-day faithful pursuant of our fellowship with the Lord. And not in these things that are supernatural, right? I remember Jesus saying in John chapter 20, verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those people. So then I had another question. Wait, so then why would Paul tell anyone about this at all? <laughs> like, right? I don't know. I, that's just how my brain thinks. So I'm like, why, why would he tell anything? Why, why would he even mention this then? Why would he finally, after 14 years, even make mention? Well, here's the truth. Would God have given such an amazing honor to a false teacher? No. He was just showing them who, by the way, the Corinthian church, they were big into like signs and wonders and stuff. So he knew this was going to speak their language. He knew this was going was to make a bit of a difference. And so if Paul was going to prove that his motives were pure and that his gospel is true and that he's actually the, the true teacher and these other people are the false teachers, then this story would be a good way to do it. To have God's endorsement on your life, that's a good thing. I mean, you know how people have endorsements all the time? What if you had God's endorsement on your life? That would definitely give credibility to you as a follower, as a teacher, as a disciple, as a disciple maker, right? So really cool, like random story in the middle of the Bible that you're just like, wait just a second. But that is, that's incredible. That's just an incredible thing. But again, don't go seeking this, okay? Like, don't be like upset when you're like, I want to go to the third heaven, all right? Like, We don't need to worry about this stuff, okay? All right, so verse five, check this out. So he says this. He says, on behalf of this man, right? So he's like, I don't even want to boast. Like, on behalf of this man, like this guy, like I'll boast. But look, on my own behalf, it's like I'm not going to boast except of my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. So Paul, he was proud of that moment, but not in a prideful way. But here he's saying something completely counterintuitive. All right, for me at least. He says that instead of boasting on his own behalf, he would rather boast in his weakness. Who boasts in their weakness? What is wrong with this guy's brain, right? Like whenever you hear somebody go, I really like to boast in my weakness. Like you would go, they're weird. They're a little off, right? If they're just going to boast in there, something's wrong with them. There's a screw loose somewhere. They're going to boast. Like that word translated boast, it means to show pride in you're going to show pride in your weakness. Aren't we, don't we try to avoid like moments of weakness? I mean, like, aren't we embarrassed of our weaknesses? Like, I understand like not boasting in your strengths. Like, I understand humility. Like, I understand whenever something happens and I don't like toot my own horn on something. Like, I get that. But going further than that and like actually boasting in my weaknesses is something that Man, we really, we really are very far removed from in our own minds because that's just something we don't, we don't see in our culture. We don't see in anyone around us, right? Like we live in a culture that says, man, boast in yourself, right? Like, but like I have to like, like whenever I'm, you know, talking to Eli and, and like, you know, we watch sports all the time and stuff. And, and so we'll watch like basketball and somebody will dunk on somebody and then they'll be like, yeah, and like step over them and stuff. And you're just like, chill out. Right. Like me and Eli, we play basketball in his, uh, in his like, in like, we have like, you know, one of those little basketball things that are like on the door. 
you know, you know what I'm talking about, like in a room or something, it's like a Nerf basketball thing. Um, like, we, like we're in there and stuff, and like, we're, it gets pretty heated. Like, we get a pretty good competition, like, going on between us, like uh, some one-on-ones and stuff. Uh, I will never let him win. That's just something that I think he needs to learn is to lose. And so he's not yet beat me, but like, you know, I mean, maybe you beat me once. Oh, and well, okay, he remembers that very well. Um, but let's just say the other day we played two one-on-ones. He didn't, he didn't win. Um, but, uh, but he did do a couple of dunks, right? Like, I mean, we're also talking this thing is like our, this, you know, head height. But, uh, but he, he got a couple of dunks. And then he's just so funny because he just imitates those guys. Like, and, and because that's what our culture is. It's like we want to, like, boast. We want to, like, show our dominance. We want to boast in our weakness, though. Like, that doesn't make a lick of sense at all. Right? Don't worry. I humbled him a little bit later after that little thing right there. But uh, I'm boasting myself right now. <laughs> But man, he boasts in our, like, this is crazy. So but he's really going to get into it in a second. But check out what he says. Let's just read a little bit further in verse 6. He says, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. Like, if I wanted to boast, I could. And I wouldn't be a fool to do it. Like, for I, he says, I would be speaking the truth. But he says, but I refrain from it. Why? So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Man, this stuff is easy to just read over. You know, like, can we catch this for a second? Like, I'm going to refrain from boasting. Why? So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or he hears from me. That right there is an incredible thing. He's saying, if I wanted to brag like those false teachers, I could. And I could do it a lot more than they could. And it would all be true. But listen to this. But he says, but I'd rather my life and my message give testimony about me rather than my mouth. That's what I want to give testimony about me. Like I want my lifestyle, not my words to show you the authenticity of my walk with the Lord. I want my message the knowledge that the Lord has given me of him to convince you of the legitimacy of my ministry, not me saying so. It's like, I don't want to have to stand up here and, and, and say those things about myself. I want these things to show. We love for people to think highly of us. We love for people to think how awesome we are, right? We, that's something that's just inside of us. I know I struggle with that, but you'll never find someone who is intimately close with the Father brag about it. Show me one person. Show me one person that, that you admire because their relationship with Christ is so close and so good. And I promise you won't find a person who brags about it. You just won't. Why? Because their testimony shows it. Their walk shows it. This should, and this should lead us to ask ourselves, and I say this because it led me to ask myself, what do people, excuse me, what do people see about our walk? Like, what do people see about my personal walk? Does our lifestyle give testimony to our walk with the Lord? Or do we have to tell people how close to the Lord we are in an attempt to convince them and ourselves? I hope we don't have to use our words. I hope that our actions can do it. So Paul says, I could boast about my relationship with the Lord, but I'd rather you see how the Lord is at work. And he says, no, you know what? said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Here we go. All right. Verse seven through nine. Check this out. He says this, like he, like he had this amazing vision, right? God gave him this amazing gift um, that could cause him to become boastful. Check this out. He says, so to keep me, verse seven, from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming conceited, 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that being caught up into paradise, that being caught up into the third heaven, right? To keep him becoming, from becoming conceited because that was incredibly awesome and great, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Why? To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, he says in verse eight, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He's like, please just get it away from me. But he said to me, this is what, this is what God said to him when Paul was praying for that thorn to be removed from him. This is what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is what Paul says, in response to that, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want to settle here for just a second in, in these three verses because there is so much within these verses. Look, the combination of Paul's sinful flesh, right, as a human, and the greatness of this vision that God had given him was going to be too much for Paul to handle. God knew that. It was going to be too much for him to handle. It was actually going to cause, cause Paul to be arrogant rather than humble. It was going to make him conceited and God knew that. Like he, he didn't even need to give Paul a chance because he knew the greatness of the vision that he had given Paul. There was just no way in the world that Paul could walk away from that not conceited and remain humble. And so God didn't even give him a chance to like prove himself. God just immediately gave him a thorn in his side, right? A messenger of Satan is what it says to harass him. And, and, and Paul called it a thorn in his flesh. And again, uh, back when this was translated thorn, like thorns were large things, all right? Like thorns, if you ever look, look at the crown of thorns that actually went on Jesus's head, it wasn't like this little briar thing that just went boop, right? Like we're talking about thorns that were like this long. So whenever Paul says he was given like a thorn in his flesh, Oftentimes we'll read that and go, oh, that sounds like it hurts, right? Because like a thorn to us is like something that's kind of small. Like I pulled a splinter out of somebody's finger, you know? So a better translation for us would be like a stake. Like not like a S-T-A-K, right? Like, I mean, S-T-A-K-E. Like if you could picture like whenever I tell you guys that there's a stake in my side, you're going to go, right? That's kind of more what Paul's talking about here. In fact, it was so painful it caused him so many problems that, that on three occasions, he asked God to take it away. Please, God, just take this away. This is, this is so uncomfortable. This is so, I hate it so much. I, I'm praying, God, please, will you please just take this away from me? We don't know exactly what this messenger was. Um, we do know that that word literally means like messenger of Satan literally means angel of Satan. Uh, so it was a demon of some sort, but we don't know whether someone was demon possessed. There's speculation that it was like the leader of the, of the false teachers in Corinth that it might've been that, but I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me that that's who it would be. Um, maybe an actual like, like demon wreaking havoc somewhere in his life. I don't know. There's speculation that it was like a physical ailment that, that God allowed Satan to, to place upon Paul. Again, we don't know. Some people think it's his eyesight, um, that was so troublesome to him. Uh, again, like we can speculate all we want, but we don't know. The only thing that we do know and the only thing that Paul wants us to know is that it was bad. 
that it was very, very painful, all right? And, uh, and so something that, that left him in a, in a state of constant weakness, right? And, uh, and something interesting about this word weakness, um, it means like a state of incapacity to do something. Like whenever you, you're, you're weak about something, that means that you're in a state like where you're like, I can't do this. Like in your mind, you're like, I don't have the giftings. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability to. Um, something's wrong with me, so I can't do something. That's what he's talking about in his weakness. And he wanted Paul in his mind to keep the mindset of knowing that what he had called Paul to do Paul was incapable of doing on his own strength, and he certainly couldn't do it in arrogance. He couldn't do it in his own strength. He couldn't do it in arrogance. So, you know, Paul called, uh, God called Paul to be a missionary, a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And then also brought him a thorn in his flesh that left him in his mind incapable of doing that. Now, why would God do that? Like, why would, why would the Lord do that? I want to break this down because I think that to be a successful minister of the gospel, he needed Paul to understand two things. And here we go into these two things. Number one, Paul needed to understand that God's grace is sufficient. I want to talk about what that really means because we sing about it. Your grace is enough. But do we really understand what we're singing sometimes? Like your grace is enough. Like your grace is sufficient. Think about this for a moment. Paul, stake in his side. Three times, he's like, God, please, please, please take it away from me. And God's response is, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So what does it mean that God's grace is sufficient for you? What does it mean that God's grace is sufficient for anyone? Well, let's break down the words for a second. What is grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. It's something that you've been given that you do not deserve, right? You actually, the very opposite of deserve it. And that grace that God has given us, it's the kindness of God to, to save us even though we don't deserve it. Like whenever Morgan was reading the scriptures earlier, it, it, it very well highlighted the depravity of ourselves and how undeserving we are of grace. In fact, I don't think there's a person in here that would be bold or arrogant enough to say, of course I'm saved, I deserve to be saved. I don't think anyone would be that arrogant, right? Because all of us, if we were gonna get what we deserve, it wouldn't be good for us. But God extends grace to us, he gives us grace. So grace is that unmerited favor. And this is the word sufficient, okay? This is so cool. It's adequacy that leads to satisfaction that leads to satisfaction, the thing that makes you feel okay. It's the thing that leaves you feeling satisfied, all right? The thing that leaves you satisfied. So what God is trying to get Paul to realize is that God's grace, and by the way, he's also trying to get us to realize through preserving of these scriptures and passed down to us right now as, as further disciples of Jesus, what he's trying to get him to realize is that God's grace is so adequate a gift it's all a person needs to be satisfied in this life. Grace is so adequate a gift. It's all we need. It's the only thing we need to be truly satisfied in this life. And it's scary to think about how many things we turn to in order to be satisfied in this life. If you think about it for just a moment, a large majority of our lives are chasing satisfaction. I know mine is. 
Like a whole, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole lot that I'm trying to chase in order to be satisfied. It's actually scary to think about how many things I turn to in order to be satisfied in this life. But if you think about it, it's never ending. Like we, we, it, it never ends chasing satisfaction. To Paul, he was saying, you're praying for relief from this thorn because you believe it will bring you satisfaction. But it won't, Paul. There's always going to be more pain. There's going to be more thorns. And here's the truth I'm trying to get you to understand, Paul. It's my grace. My grace is what's going to bring sufficiency. It's what's going to bring satisfaction in your life. And for us, what we need to come to an understanding of, and guys, again, I preach to myself way before I preach to you guys. For us, what we need to come to an understanding of in this life is that out of all the insufficiencies that life leaves us feeling, out of all of the dissatisfaction we have in life that we're looking to satisfy, resolving those things will only satisfy us until the next dissatisfaction comes. Our whole lives are just a constant chase of satisfaction a constant chase of sufficiency. Every day we wake up with so many things on our mind that need satisfying and we set off and we try to do it to get one step closer. Some we can immediately satisfy with just a decision. We can immediately satisfy that. And some we can make grand plans that will ultimately bring it about. Like we set these plans into motions. In five years, hopefully I'll reach this satisfaction, right? And we convince ourselves that then we'll be satisfied. And though, like when, I, when this is resolved, I'll finally be satisfied. If I could just find this spouse, if I could just get this debt paid off, right? We take a Dave Ramsey course and we're just like, man, all right, Dave told me it's gonna be 10 years. If I'll just snowball effect all of this debt, then all of a sudden in 10 years, I'm gonna be out, then I'll be satisfied. If all I can do is just, man, if I could just have this job, if I could just have this lifestyle. And so what do we do? Like, if you think about it, we go to school, we go to work, we get all the jobs, we do all the things. Why? Because we're chasing satisfaction. We're wanting to be satisfied. That's what we're trying to do is fill this dissatisfaction in our lives. And we say, oh, then I'll be satisfied. But in this scripture, we find something incredibly freeing. While we're looking for many things to satisfy the many things in life that need satisfying, God is telling us there's one thing that in the midst of, it's not gonna satisfy all those things. Like you're still gonna be in debt, all right? I'm not telling you like all of a sudden you're like grace and then debt is gone, right? I mean, it's still gonna be unsatisfied, okay? But in the midst of those things being left unsatisfied, grace will leave us feeling all satisfied. How cool is that? That we actually, this, this thing that we chase, satisfaction that we, can, that we chase, God is like, here. Your troubles aren't going to go away. You live, in a, you live in a fallen world. I was going to say fallen, I promise. You live in a fallen world. It's, it's not going to go away, but I, I still want to give you the gift of satisfaction. And if you'll just remember my grace, You'll walk around satisfied in the midst of 
being dissatisfied about whatever's going on in your life, you'll still walk around satisfied. The remembrance that you and I, undeserving sinners, completely unworthy to even be in the presence of the King of Kings, have not been banished. We've not been given what we deserve, but instead we've been shown mercy through the death of Jesus on a cross. And we've been granted forgiveness. And one day we're going to be in paradise. And we're going to be companions of a king. And we're going to walk with him. And we're going to be there. And we're going to get that. And when you think about that, when you think about the grace that you've been shown and what's to come, you'll walk around satisfied. It's when we forget those things, whenever we forget the satisfaction of that that we start to really have unrest in our spirits and we walk around just miserable because we just are looking for the next, next satisfaction in our life. He's like, Paul, if you want to know how to feel satisfied, even though you have what you feel like is a constant thorn in your flesh, remember and think on the gift of grace that I have given you. And I'll just, I'm going to bring some application to this. You know what can bring sufficiency to your life in the midst of weariness? You ever felt weariness? Remembering God's grace. In the midst of pain, grace. Through opposition in life, grace. In hardships, remembering his grace. Through pain from trauma, remembering his grace. Whenever we fear, grace. Whenever we worry, grace. In times of doubt, grace. Through every thorn or every stake in your side, grace. Now, whenever we sing, your grace is enough, right? We can go, I get it. I get it. It is sufficient. Your grace, your grace is sufficient for everything I need. He says, but, but he said to me, my grace, Paul's like, take it away, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient for what? Everything, everything. One time, this, this is a cool story. One time there was a girl who, uh, for many years, um, she had like this uh, incurable disease, uh, which also brought chronic pain, if you can imagine. And she had it for years. She had been in pain um, a very, 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 very long time. In fact, most of her life she had been in pain uh, through this disease. And she got to the point where now she was bedridden uh, and at the end of her life. The pain hadn't gone away. Um, it was still there. Uh, couldn't be any, nothing could be done about the pain. It was just something that she had to live with. I don't know if you guys could imagine that. Could, could imagine having to go through something like that. Not, not only knowing that you have an incurable disease, but it's something that also brings an incredible amount of pain all the time in your life. Um, and so she was nearing the end of her life, and a, and a man came to visit her. And, uh, and he wanted to bring a gift to her, and so he thought about it. And he searched and he found this little book of cheer. He's like, you know what? I know what she needs. She's been through so much. She's been through so much pain, all of this. I know what I'll get her. I'll, I'm going to get her this, this book of cheer that I found. Hopefully it'll brighten her day. And it was a, it was a book of cheer specifically for those experiencing hardships and trouble. <laughs> and he brought it to her and he said, I got you this book. It's a, it's a book of cheer. And she looked at it and she goes, oh, I know that book. He was like, oh man, like you've read it. She goes, I wrote it. I wrote it. 
Listen, when grace is sufficient, we don't need a book on joy. We write the book on joy. When grace is sufficient. So, next on, through Paul's weaknesses, right? Through Paul's weakness, God wanted him to see that his grace is sufficient, but he also wanted him to see that his power is made perfect in that weakness. God's power is made perfect in that weakness. Now look, we love to operate in our own strengths. We love to do the things that we know how to do, right? Mission, like for, for those of you that were at mission orientation or mission devo or uh, these interns, we actually went over this verse like our first meeting together. Um, and so this is going to be a little redundant for them. But um, we always love to do the things that we know how to do, right? How many of you guys, uh, like when you're not good at something, you just don't do it? You know what I'm saying? Like, like I taught guitar um, for a while, and, uh, and like one of them, actually one of my students was here uh, last week on the mission team, so whenever I lived in Louisiana, I taught guitar. And she came in and she's like, remember our guitar lessons? I was like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I haven't played guitar since that last day. <laughs> like, this was like three or four years ago, all right? She's like, my guitar's under the bed somewhere. I'm like, that's what I always wanted to hear. I'm like, great, great, awesome. Um, but do you know why she quit? And this is what I told all my guitar students. Eric, Eric knows this very, very well. Uh, do you know the number one reason people quit? Because you're not good at it at first. You're making noises with the strings, like it's hard to strum, like it's, it's tough, your fingers hurt, right? And so people don't want to get through that first part of it because it's hard. And so that's why... That's why people don't play guitar so much, right? That's why we, you and I, like, like, whenever people are like, hey, I, like, I miss the whole gaming thing, right? Like, I'm just on the other side of gaming. Um, and so, like, I, I see people that sit for hours and, and game and stuff, and I'm like, great job. Like, you're really good at this. Uh, but the moments, like, somebody one time was like, you want to play Call of Duty? And I was like, I guess. Like, I've never really played anything like this before. And then I'm like, all right, go, dead go dead. Like, can I just walk around for a second? Like, like I just, I don't I respond. Like, I'm like, I'm tired of responding. Like, I just want to like be able to do something. Right. And so like, I, I like Fortnite, forget it. Like I'm, there's no, there's no way I'm going to do that because I just can't, I'm not good at it. And so me knowing me, I'm not going to do it because it's not fun because I'm no good at it. Right. And there's so many times that we carry that over into Christianity. We're like, man, you know what? I don't like operating in my weakness. I want to operate in my strengths. And so we end up doing the things that we feel most comfortable doing. But let me tell you this for just a second. If all you do is operate in your strengths, then the only thing that are going to happen are you-sized things. But when you operate in your weakness and God is working in his strengths, then you're going to see God-sized things happen. That's what I tell our mission teams all the time. I'm always like, you know what? Do you know why whenever you go on a mission trip and you go to like Mexico or you go to like, you know, some other country or you go to New York City, you're out of your comfort zone? Do you know, do you want to know why you, you always go back with stories that you wish you could have whenever you're just at home? It's because you've placed yourself in a place of weakness. It's because you, you walk out and you go, I don't know where I am, but there's an Elmo that's trying to take a picture with me right now right? Like, I don't know how to operate in this environment, okay? Like, you, you're, you're walking down the street, and, and there are some crazy things that you see, and you don't know the context. You don't know the people. They, they, don't, they don't speak the way that you speak, and so you're like, Lord, the only thing I can do right now literally is nothing. So, 
you're going to have to do whatever it is. And you know what happens? Every time they go back home from mission trips and they're like, I cannot wait to tell you what God did. It's crazy. It's crazy cool how much God did. You know why he did? Because you got out of the way. Because you decided to stop operating in your strengths. And you stepped out in faith and you operated in weakness. And I tell you guys this all the time, but like, and this is, this is my own fault, but when I was where I was, like at the church that we served at in Louisiana before this, when I was there, I operated in my strengths way more than I operated in my weakness because I just knew what to do. Like, I mean, I knew church, I knew how to do it, I knew what to do, like all of those things. But then whenever God is like, hey, move to New York City and plant a church, all of a sudden, do you know what I was thrown into? The weakest I've ever felt. But it's also the most rewarding I've ever felt in my life. It's also the, the moments that I have truly can go back and say, that wasn't me, that was God. Because where I used to live, there was always that little small voice in the back of my head going, you did that. Like that was you. Yeah, that's you planning and just asking God to bless your plans. But whenever I got here, it was like, I don't know how to plan. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just going to trust you, Lord, with this. And now I have God-sized stories. I don't have me-sized stories anymore, but it's God-sized stories. That's what he's talking about whenever he's talking about that his, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And it's in those places of vulnerability that we trust God the most. Our strengths, do you guys realize that our strengths actually hinder us from trusting God? Because we trust in ourselves. But it's in those moments of vulnerability that we see God really, really move. Um, you see, God wants us in a place of, I can't do this so that we won't do this so that he can do this. All right, that's what he wants from us. And this is why Paul says in the very, in the very next phrase, like Paul... This dude is so wise. Like every time I study this guy, I'm just like, this is so good. I'm like, I want to be when I grow up. But look at what he says here. This is why he says in the very next phrase. He like, he gets all of this. He understands the weakness. He sees God work in the weakness. And so he stops praying for this thing to be even removed from him because he understands that God's grace is sufficient and he understands that God's power is made perfect in his weakness. So he says this. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul doesn't want his will accomplished. He wants God's will accomplished. And we work from a place of conceitedness or arrogance or in our own strengths. We're going to see our will accomplished. All right, that's why, that's why I entitled this whole thing, Embrace the Weakness. Why run from it? Quit running from your weakness. Quit saying no to the things that you know God wants you to do because you're afraid. You're afraid of that weakness. You're afraid of being put in a weak position. Stop saying no. Embrace the weakness. Seek it out, find it, follow it, embrace the weakness. Verse 10, we're going to stop right here. It says, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. What, that means I'm pleased with, I take pleasure in. What was he going to say next? God's grace? No. I'm content with weaknesses. I take pleasure in insults. I'm content in hardships, in persecutions, in calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Doesn't that sound like an amazing place to be? It sounds like a great place to be. It really, really does. That's exactly where we can be. If we'll only remember that God's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. 
Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.